Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hey. So it's been a while since we've been on the air, but we are back and uh, going to fill your ears and head with just wonderful and tremendous knowledge about various sports things, as we always like to do. Lots and lots to cover. Uh, We're going to start off Michigan, Michigan State, but we're going to talk Pistons, Red Wings, Tigers. There's just all kinds of fun. Oh, there's another team, too. Let's not talk about them. In any case... That's all laying in front of us on the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. So, going into this season of college football, would either of you predicted that Michigan Michigan State would be facing each other undefeated at this, you know, well, granted, they're they're playing each other this deep into the season, but uh, did 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 either of you fathom that in any of your wildest dreams? <laughs> to me, I I think if you would have done that, you would have had to label it with the definition of insanity. Um, uh, and and what I mean by that is that you know, especially with Michigan, Michigan by now, uh, Jim Harbaugh teams have already stubbed themselves in the toe once or twice. Um, they they just couldn't be able to, to you know finish the deal. Uh, and then on the other side, the Mel Tucker Spartans, we don't, we didn't know what that team was like going into the season, right? And to me, uh, Brandon, the thing that has been most interesting, uh, has been the way that they have done it. Uh, the Spartans have been just resilient. They just, they, they just physically wear you out, and then all of a sudden they look refreshed by the end of the game because they've pummeled the other team so bad physically that there's nothing left of their opponent at that point. But all of a sudden, they, they're they like Rocky, for heaven's sake, right? Where Michigan has been so strange because the team that we've seen play actually for the first time in, like five, in, in the Jim Harbaugh years – play with swagger. I mean, they, there's a confidence, there's a swagger, and oh, by the way, it helps that you have quarterbacks that can throw an out pattern. Uh, and no, you just don't have one, you have two. And as a result, I, I, it's weird how different these teams are until today, then all of a sudden the, I felt like I was watching the Spartans uh, play uh, at Michigan Stadium against Northwestern today. It, that was kind of strange because it was a very much a resilient team like the Spartans versus that that swagger. So, yeah, I don't think there was any way to predict what we have in front of us. You know, certainly on Michigan's schedule, the, the game at Camp Randall uh, was marked as an L. You know, playing at Wisconsin, Wisconsin was supposed to be strong this year. They have not looked it. Um, on the whole, the two teams did have relatively easier schedules. And so, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me to see maybe a loss on the state side or a loss or two on the Michigan side going into the game. But uh, they found ways to win, and they have been – both teams have been tested by less than Big Ten opponents, but have figured out ways to win. And in the past, both teams have figured out ways to lose uh, those games, particularly state uh, in recent years has found ways to lose a lot of the games. They're now finding ways to win, and I think Adam hit it on the head with state. Uh, they are resilient, and this looks more like a, a prime-era D'Antonio team uh, than it does uh, several other of the years uh, towards the end of his tenure. This looks like a very good football team, uh, and they probably, of the two teams, you know, have the best, most talented player, uh, you know, in Walker, uh, who is still, I think, at Heisman contention. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what these two teams look like uh, when they get together on the field. I'll be interested too this week because there continue there, there's a little bit of talk about Mel Tucker and him going to LSU and, and stuff like that. Those those rumors have popped up. Uh I actually I don't really think there's a lot of credence to it. Um uh I think that uh, Mel is probably in the whole scheme of things knows that probably for him it's best to continue to cut try to develop the Michigan State program and probably in a lot of ways it's it's more job security uh than he would necessarily have down in an LSU. 
Um, I, I'm sure the money, you know, pretty exciting down there, but Michigan State has certainly shown that if they do need to make a commitment to, uh, you know, in the contract that, that they will in fact do that. Um, but, and I, I wonder how much of that will be brought up to and, and cause a bit of a, a, a distraction uh, going into this Michigan game. I'm, I'm hoping not, but we know how these things work and, and, uh, um, that that that'll be interesting, and I think you know on the other side, going back to Michigan, I the the, the one thing again I want to express is is that it's so much easier to play a football game when you've got a really good defensive line and you've got quarterbacks that can make throws, and I mean they they have two quarterbacks that can make throws but you know uh, McNamara and you know McCarthy has come in and he has shown that he can absolutely play uh both a, a little bit today but certainly in that Wisconsin game uh and and this is that's the you know and for all the talk and that has been the chorus for the most part how is it that a guy like Jim Harbaugh has not been able to bring in a quarterback and now he has two of them and boy, does it really, I mean, it, it makes a tremendous difference. And, and, you know, and I, I, I think that that's something that's very understated as it relates to this, uh, that, that team. Uh, and I will be very fascinated, not even beyond the Michigan state game, but then how the rest of the schedule plays out, including the Penn state game where Penn state actually looked really good at the beginning, but now they seem to be sputtering. But I think that, because of their in, in uh, their their personal quarterback situation, so yeah, you know Penn State's actually in a life or death with Illinois right now. They're in overtime, tied at thirteen, so that'll certainly have plenty of implications. You know, I think uh, to your point about the quarterbacks, it's really been laid bare uh, how much Harbaugh has failed uh, in quarterback recruitment, uh, seeing how some of his past quarterbacks are faring around the country. Uh, you know, two guys who had a lot of hype and thought we were gonna you know, play a lot of games and have a lot of success here. U of M, McCaffrey, and Milton are, you know, Milton looks like a complete dud. Uh, McCaffrey is at a very small school uh, and doesn't seem to be doing a whole heck of a lot. And so you just wonder, knowing what, what, you know, Patterson's limitations were as well, you know, how much he handicapped this team, uh, Adam, you know, since the Rudock, you know, since Rudock's here, yeah. you know, with poor quarterback recruitment, you know, and, and what could have this team been if he had had better quarterbacks in place and, you know, I, I do think that Cade McNamara uh, has a good arm, but I think it's God. It's only a matter of time. If you watch Michigan, McCarthy is just so dynamic. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, you put McCarthy on the field against Michigan State, and to me, he's the, maybe the second most talented player uh, on the field, maybe after a guy like Walker, so or Aiden Hutchinson. So he just has that juice. So you know, more than the game itself, I think both both programs seem to have some pieces in place that leave room for optimism. So one of the things that's a little bit different, and, you know, we can definitely drill into the upcoming game, but one of the things that's a little bit different in college football this year is it's not dominated by the same three or four teams. And I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, uh, what LSU's, I think, four and two, Clemson's lost a game, Alabama's lost a game, um, Ohio State's lost a game, uh, even though they're ranked higher than both Michigan, Michigan State going into this week. Um, and we'll see how that shakes out. Um, but uh, what gives? Because I really wasn't expecting it. And we've even talked about it in the past, how college football had kind of gotten stuck in a rut because NFL talent typically flocked to one of a very small handful of schools. Well, my takeaways again, the country we just talked about quarterbacks, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, LSU doesn't have Joe, Bo you know, uh, Joe anymore. Um, uh, Tua is no longer, and Jalen Hurts are not at uh, Alabama, and some guy named Trevor Lawrence is not at Clemson anymore. So, I've just rattled off quite a list of really prolific um, uh, quarterbacks, uh, college quarterbacks in the last couple of years. Um, and, and again, we just got done talking about finally there's quarterback play specifically at, at, at Michigan. Uh, and uh, boy, it's so much easier to win football games where you got a guy who can throw the ball downfield. And, and I think it really kind of plays to, to 
where college football is today, right? Versus 20, 30 years ago, where it was not about the, you know, the, the, the it was not as much about the quarterback because the passing game wasn't nearly as prolific, right? Now you got it where you absolutely have to pass the ball, even in college football, to be successful. I'm going to go a slightly different direction with my, my answer to that. And I don't disagree with what Adam's saying. I, I think it's really as much the disruption due to the pandemic as, as anything. You know, what Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, what they had, LSU, uh, maybe a little less so than the other three, was entrenched systems, right? They're machines. And they have their cycles, and they go through their cycles, and they execute on them. And they're better than everybody else because they have the infrastructure, the talent flows there. But you begin to disrupt that. And you begin to throw in, you know, some wrenches here and there. And how many games did the teams play last year? They did not all get a full season in, you know. Uh, you know, how much practice time have certain guys got? You know, I mean, all these little things, I think, have added up. And so I don't know if, if things may fully get back to normal at next year, and you'll see kind of a, a return to that. But, you know, also I think some of recruiting has changed based on the pandemic, too. And guys that were more willing to go far for further away from you know their their homes, like I think that's that's changed as well. So I think just things have been knocked just a tiny bit off the axle, and I think that's why you're seeing some of the uh, some of the regression, albeit minor, you know, in Alabama or OSU's case from from where they normally are. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, is the machines are slightly off kilter everywhere right yeah and, right. and so that that makes a lot of sense so let's dive into the game itself uh any early on predictions going into this forthcoming weekend i uh, my first impression and i've watched both teams um i i think that i, I gotta basically give it a pretty even up matchup um i think that you know because you know, that Michigan uh, uh, defensive line going up against, uh, you know, Walker at Michigan State will be a, a an absolute battle, right? Um, when I'm thinking about the, you know, um, uh, the wide receivers uh, of Michigan and, and their run game going up against a, a pretty stingy defense in, in uh, um, uh, Michigan State, uh, I, I've got a, a – yeah, in, in Michigan State – I really got to go. Okay, the game can be slanting if I'm not mistaken, and I give plus, you know, give three points to Michigan State and say that they win it. I, I uh, and I, and maybe the the one edge I would say is that the game planning uh, of Michigan State might be a little crisper, crisp than the Jim Harbaugh staff. Um, but again, I, I. I think it will be a, a very, very close game, neck and neck. So plus three to the home team. So yeah, I think that's the that's the safest. You know, I, <laughs> I I don't think you can argue against that. Like I don't, you know, I think Michigan State's looked a little tougher. Uh, I think they have again. You know, Walker is the the best offensive player on the two teams. You know, and and State just you know I think there's just you know Harbaugh comes into that game with expectation and the opportunity to disappoint. Tucker came in and has already won a game in the big house. You know, and I don't want to say there's nothing to lose. There's lots to lose for both teams, but I think for Tucker, there's maybe a little less pressure. Um, I, here's here's where I actually think, you know, if, if one of two things is going to happen. You know, Michigan's going to try to dominate from the early going and establish the run game. It's going to work. It's going to not. That'll take the game one direction. What I'm what I mo more expect to happen is that Michigan State Michigan struggling a bit. And they bring in McCarthy late uh, in the in the first half or maybe early in the second half, and then it's anybody's game because I think he's dynamic enough um, to mess with the MSU defense, and they won't have been able to game plan for him the way that they will for McNamara, who's steady but not spectacular. Like he's there's nothing he can do that you know they're going to be thrown off by. But McCarthy, I don't know. But again, throwing a guy, throwing you know a, a true freshman basically into an away game. You know, in East Lansing, you know, with two seven and O teams, I mean, that's that's a lot. So, I, but I, I, I give the edge to state. I I think the other thing we do have to consider uh, is that Michigan has not. I mean, they had a game against Nebraska that was on the road. Yes. Um But but the, this game uh, on Rutgers the Rutgers and Nebraska. Okay. Road ones. So 
bottom line, I, I don't, I mean, Nebraska might have been a little raucous or whatever, a Saturday night and whatever, but I don't think that this team has played in an environment like East Lansing that will be completely, uh, for the lack of a better way of putting it, on fire next week. Even oh, totally. Noon. Right? So, oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, now what I'm thinking, especially, you know, not playing really in front of anyone last year, and then to go into this environment, I think that that's something that you absolutely have to measure. Seventy thousand fans yelling their heads right off. So, absolutely, we won't make any references to couches being on fire. However, Adam. I I really regretted the fire. I really, <laughs> I, but I was already there, and I'm like, I'm visible. I'm visible. Finish it. Medical finish it. Just go with it. So one of these two teams is obviously going to win this game, right? Where does that put the winner and the loser in terms of their path towards, you know, um, maybe a top four? In the I, I don't. I don't think you know the winner certainly is on continues to be on the path to the top four. Might even sneak in the top four. Um, however, both teams still have two as of this moment, two top ten games ahead of them. Yeah. Both teams have Penn State and Ohio State ahead of them, so great for the team that wins. It's what you have to do, but it almost means nothing because, you know, it's it's the gauntlet uh, for those top four teams, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, and Michigan State. So it, this this really isn't going to matter a whole lot until mid to late November. But I will say from a just general perspective that, we're going to know a lot more about these programs uh, one week from right now than we do today, right? I mean, I I think unfortunately, you know, like, I mean, I thought it was a big statement game where Michigan State went into Northwestern and just dominated that game. And then they went down to Miami and they dominated that. Uh, those have now ended up not being necessarily um telltale victories uh, based on where those programs are at. And same thing with Michigan. I mean, I, again, uh, and I, I do think it was tremendous for them to go to Nebraska and they had a loss written all over it. Right. I mean, and, and they, and you know what, we talked about road games, Rutgers, Nebraska, Wisconsin. Um, uh, but again, none of those, because of how those teams have fared, the, the, those games haven't really been great measuring sticks after the fact. I think we're going to know a lot more about Michigan and both these teams after. And and to to, to answer your question, uh, we won't know anything until that point. I mean, we, we don't know anything now. So, Fair enough. Well, we'll definitely be talking about that next time we uh, throw a broadcast together. That much is for certain. So moving on now, um, I guess if we if we go chronologically, the Tigers would be next. They wrapped up their season uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, you know baseball playoffs have been have been roaring full speed ahead. Um, so quick wrap on the Tiger season. They finished with 77 wins. Um, I don't remember what our predictions were, but I'm quite certain it came in well under that number. Um, I think it's tremendous. Uh, Yeah, what a tremendous season for this organization. Um, And it's only looking up from here, uh, in my opinion. So uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Um, I said in the last show, you know, that my my success, you know, kind of marker was 75 wins. Above 75 wins, and I think it was a clear-cut success start to dip around around 70 and below. And I think it's a, I don't want to say a wasted season because they did put together some really, really good baseball in the middle of the summer. So you, you can't totally ignore that, but you know, if they didn't get to 70 wins, I kind of would have been going, eh, you know, what, 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 what does next year actually hold? But 77 wins uh, is, is a really good season. They took series off of a couple of playoff teams or playoff ish teams uh, down the stretch, you know, Oakland, Tampa, uh, they also look stupid against some bad teams, but that's you know that's all to be kind of expected with where they are. But normal, right? I, no, I mean I I think it's a a really really good season for them. I think I said this last year. You know I think it takes a little bit of the heat off uh, Avila, uh, but you know now the 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 big question that I've kind of been 
Mullen over here with you both for, you know, three years or so is when the time comes, can he, can he do it? Can he, you know, not just convert, you know, top 10 draft picks, but can he make the sign the right signings? Can he make the big trade? Uh, and we'll see, you know, this will be, you know, opportunity one this summer. Uh, and he'll probably have more opportunities than just this year, but, you know, this is certainly a big one for him. Adam? I think when you're considering the roster, the one thing I did do is I went through the roster, I went through the stacks, and I really, I wanted to get a feel for who who was on that team. And the, uh, the, the, the big takeaway is that, you know, I thought 77 wins was unbelievable considering that pitching staff. I thought it was unbelievable with really not a whole lot of offense. I mean, you know, and I, I, I and, and you know, I mean, I, I'll, you know, and I'm, I'm taking a look at that lineup right now and I'm, and, and I think uh, Brandon, you're the one, you know, going, you know, who, who's going to be on this team when they're really, really competitive. Uh, I mean, when, when they're playoff contenders. And it, it was not a lot of those guys. And I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, now, like one guy that I think is definitely going to be there that's on the major league roster today is uh, uh, um, Jammer uh, uh, Candelario, right? He He's a guy that was absolutely, and I, but I was amazed by how terrible his batting average was with the fact that he led the major league yeah, in, yeah. in, in doubles. Um, that That's where, so to me, the 77 was extremely impressive. I thought the development of the young pitching was very impressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think Brandon said, I'll reiterate it. I think probably the by far most impressive thing of the 162 game campaign is how, for the most part, how present this team was throughout the season. You know, and, and, and I mean, they were present from game one to game 162. They were out to win baseball games. They were trying to figure out how best to do it. And, and oh, by the way, they knew they couldn't be like a lot of other teams hitting three-run homers. They were not going to be the Earl Weavers, you know, three-run homer or bust, right? <laughs> and they, they, they stole bases when they had to. They, they, they got guys, you know, advanced players when they had to. The guys that, you know, knew they weren't going to hit a home run. They, they made those things happen. And that was the most impressive thing, especially considering what this roster will look like going into the next few seasons. Well, so, that's, that, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I think it's, you know, and this is where Avila, you should get, he should get a lot of credit, you know, for two in particular, and I give him some credit for the latter, but, you know, first is the Grossman signing, you know, 23 home runs, 60 plus RBIs, and, you know, 20 some odd stolen bases out of Robbie Grossman is a hell of a sign. Uh, we were all kind of like, huh, what, why? But hey, it worked. And then the other is, of course, Akil Badu. Um, and so, Adam, you know, I actually disagree. I mean, I think Miguel Cabrera was, you know, the fourth or fifth best batter for a lot, a lot of nights. Uh, I mean, Scope was on fire. I mean, they were protecting him. He wasn't protecting them, especially Scope. You know, and I think I know Candelario's average, you know, dipped towards the end of the year, but he was hitting 280, 290 for most of the season. Um, so I, I, you know, I think they had some good bats in that lineup, some really good bats. I just don't know. You know, I think the question is, you know, how does Avila decide which one of them are for, which ones are for real and which ones, you know, did Haas is that just an aberration that you know goes poof? You know, next season, that's a real possibility. Does Badu backslide? Can Grossman repeat, right? You know, I think Candelario, of course, Cabrera, of course, Scope, of course, will be, you know, mainstays and as they should be next year. But he's got some picking and choosing to do. And this is also where, you know, who, who do you try to try to sign either? Because can you count on, you know, f- you know, 45 home runs between Haas and Grossman next year? Yeah. So... Uh... I, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, one of which I, I think it's both of you said it. What's going to get at the heart of the issue is the personnel decision that the team makes going forward and the ones they made this season. And I don't know how much influence Hinch had on this, this season versus it was just time, but the Tigers finally made some really hard decisions this season 
uh, DFAing uh, Stewart, DFAing Jacoby Jones. Um, and, uh, you know, th there were a few others. Grayson Griner, they finally said, okay, you're, you're not – like, even at the end of the season when there were injuries, they didn't call him up. They went with, you know, a 34-year-old backup catcher. Um, so it tells you they've made hard decisions on some prospects, and they're going to continue to make those hard decisions. Um, and, and it'll be really interesting to see how they approach it at this point. And this offseason, and, and we're not going to jump into this offseason probably till another show, but they have some right now roster decisions to make, Nico Goodrum probably being the most impactful one of whether or not to tender him, you know, a contract. So it's, uh, this is, you know, the rubber is starting to hit the road because we're now getting to the point where um, it's, we're going to have to start filling out this roster. If we're going to be a contending team, it's time to start filling some of the holes in the roster. And next season is going to be a big season for guys like Willie Castro, who really had a backslide this season. Um, it's going to be an important year for a variety of other players. Uh, Victor Reyes, who probably is settling in as a fourth outfielder. That's his career trajectory, uh, given how well Badu played. Um, and then the other really fascinating thing, uh, and, you know, Isaac Paredes, we got to talk about a little bit at some point, who uh, people seem very down on him, but he actually had a very solid AAA season. He didn't do a lot when he was here, but he kind of bounced back and forth because of injuries. But uh, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson will be on the Tigers next season. Maybe not breaking camp, but they will be on the Tigers next season. And they both looked at times a little overmatched in AAA, but on the whole, um, I mean, Green still hit 300 in AAA. I mean, over 40 games. Uh, and Torkelson's tearing up the Arizona League. And then they have another young guy in Ryan Creedler, who nobody really was paying much attention to. Um, who who came up very late in camp, um, which was a head-scratcher because they didn't bring a lot of people over from Tigertown because of COVID protocols and what have you, but they brought him. And then he proceeded to just rake all over double and triple A, and he's already a plus defender and a shortstop. And so very interesting stuff. Um and I think this offseason is going to tell us a lot about who they think is going to make it and who not. Then the other piece, of course, is the pitching. And hallelujah, they might actually have something going here. Um, once again, I mean, Avila should delegate signing uh, veteran starting pitchers to someone, anyone else, because his signings in these last few years, they they throw like between one and four games and then are gone for the rest of the year. Um, so I think it's just a curse at this point, or the, I, I don't even know what to call it, but um, the curse of uh, Matt Moore or something, I don't know. But it, it they, that's one area that they just cannot get right. Um, and that is concerning because they've got to, got to, got to have probably two veteran arms with Boyd out until at least the all-star break Turnbull out next season. They have got to get uh, another Willie Peralta, which was just, I mean, Oh my God, he should, I don't know where they found him, uh, but he was great. They need another guy who can give them 150 innings at least of good baseball. Uh, if they're going to continue to bring these young guys along. So, yeah, the list of free agent pictures is rough, by the way. There's not a whole lot uh, on there. I mean, my my thing, you call a guy that was on the team before, not that guy. I don't want that guy. I want another guy that was on that should have been the guy that they gave the big contract to. Two-colored eye uh, guy, Max. You hear Max, come on in town. Here's a piece of paper. Write your number. And we'll sign our thing and let's move on. Because I think Mac is the guy that can be that veteran to those young pitchers a lot. And then again, Mac is a pitcher, not a hurler. And I think it would go so much farther to have Mac here 
Don't care what it costs. Just make it happen. Be done. That that that's my whole thing. Um, and I know we weren't going to talk about the offseason, but oh, I, I've been dying to get that on re- record. So, yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the same camp as Adam is. You know, regardless of who it is, you know, they they should be putting some blank checks out on some tables this offseason. Um, and I think they need to over overspend uh, as they have in the past. And I think they need to not assume that you know there can be carried, frankly, by a bunch of you know eighteen to twenty five year olds. You know, uh, which which they really were. I mean, if you don't get if they don't get what they got from Turnball and Mize and and Scooble and those guys last year, like this is this is another sixty win team, sixty five win team. So um, they need to go out there and give these guys some help and make it so that Mize doesn't have to go out there and have you know a Verlander s rookie season, uh, which he did. Um, like give give these guys some help. Let them let them backslide because they're going to. And then let them reemerge as you know what they could be. And I think in my case, it is a one number one pitcher. It is a Cy Young contender. Like he is all that. So yes, you know, but you gotta gotta make it so that he doesn't feel like he's coming into a second full season having to carry, you know, this organization. Very true too. Um, and the other thing I wanted to touch on regarding the pitching is I really like the way they handled the pitching staff this year. Um, I wasn't sold on it at first. Um, but I really like the idea of having them throw three innings, four innings, so that they remained in their rhythm throughout the season. They got used to I'm every fifth day I'm getting the ball, doing the workout routines in between. Because in the past, what teams have done is, you know, okay, you've you've reached your innings limit, you're done in August, and then that's that. And and I like the way they just kept it going, you know, just. Um, so wait a minute. So you're saying this was intentional? It's not because they didn't have enough chairs in the bullpen and dugout? Yes. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I just thought they were short on chairs, and here there was a whole strategy behind it. I just thought, you know, hell, it's been three innings. You know, we've been we've been making Soto stand. You know, he needs to sit. He might have to pitch. So let's just send somebody else out there. We'll free up the seat. <laughs> Well, now, I don't particularly care for how often he makes pitching changes <laughs> after that. But I do like the strategy that they had with Scooble and Mize as opposed to just cutting them off at, you know, 150 innings. They, you know, kind of extended their seasons out a little bit. Um, I, I promise you at some point next season or whenever the Tigers contend again, um, I'm going to go off in a rage about AJ Hinch's use of the bullpen because I will, but it, I, I from the starting, it, from the young perspective, I liked it. Will he let Jose Valverde throw 75 pitches against the best no. team in baseball? Okay. No, no, he will not do that. <laughs> One, because Jose Valverde doesn't play anymore, but two, because I'm talking no. hypotheticals here. Like, Let's just say you're playing against a world championship caliber team with three or four Hall of Fame batters. Sure. Let's just say that Jose is throwing about 87 today. <laughs> Maybe 60, 70 pitches seems like the remedy. Maybe I hit a couple out of Fenway. Maybe they're still bouncing in the street. I don't know. You tell me. It must have been happening during a smoke break uh, down in the tunnel, the back of the locker room, maybe. So. Look, Jim's that, like, I'm enjoying my fettuccine potato. That, Jose, stay out there and get it done. Or was that the uh, the 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 app that wasn't a Leland? No, or was that uh, the oh, other was, guy? I mean, that what okay. the game I'm referring to was absolutely Leland. Oh yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I, I already forgot the guy that managed after that. Uh, Brad Osmus, uh, the genius. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 Where is he about. these days? Uh, unemployed, right? I think he owns a set of car washes in Los Angeles. I don't know. <laughs> So yes, we're we're still angry about that game with Valverde. Oh, I'll I never forget. I'm actually going to go. I have no idea what year it was in, but I'm going to find it today. Don't you worry. Excellent, excellent. So anyway, uh, a quick recap there on the Tiger season. Um, if you had to throw a grade on it, what would you give it? A minus. Yeah, I mean, same here. I mean, I mean, just. Just really kind of taking into consideration what you saw. Again, just 
you, you got through the the season and and none of the young arms were were hurt you know i mean i i mean i'll i'll outside of spencer turnbull who <laughs> really really he was starting to look fantastic right so um but and and you've got you, you know you you feel like you got the beginnings not next year per se but maybe the next year after that you know a team that will be not just contending but they're going to be there it's not going to be a a flash in the pan um and and you're excited about specific players and their development whether it be akil badu who really does appear to have some of those tools that you need in order to be really really good Mm -hmm. um you you know you get concerned about a guy like John Jonathan Scope after he kind of regressed after signing the contract, but it, and in the meantime, in a league where it's home runs are bust, you know you have two guys that can do anything with the bat coming up between uh, Torkelson and, and Riley Green, right? And 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 th- that's where then you get. But for this season. A minus, absolutely. Yeah, that's where I was at too, and and that's a good point, Adam. I forgot to touch on is I was really appreciative of watching this team play baseball the way we've been asking for the Tigers to build the team for I don't know, give or take twenty years. Um, you know, something that plays well to the dimensions of Comerica Park, um, and being able to, I mean, first to third on the base pads, they were so much better this year at that. I mean, for the love of God, even Cabrera did it occasionally. I mean, like, it it just it, 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 it made my heart uh, so much happier to see actually good base running. Well, couldn't it be any worse? That's, we knew that. Yeah, that's true. That's I true. mean, you'd be watching some games, you're like, were they playing another game and I'm, that I'm not watching? Or, <laughs> I mean, it was awful the base running on this team during the Brad Ausmus years. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Benny Hill soundtrack and uh, yeah. So we'll talk plenty more though about players coming up next year. Uh, I have some thoughts on you know who stays and who goes and, and what we're going to see next season. Plus we'll talk free agency and all that good stuff once we get uh, past World Series and what have you. However, definitely want to touch on two other Detroit teams who've just gotten their seasons underway. We'll start with the Red Wings. Uh, speaking of teams, I'm actually more excited in the Red Wings in some respects. I actually think they might be further along than the Tigers in their rebuild because um, if you look at the talent they've assembled, uh, the young talent, it's jaw-dropping how quickly they have progressed. Now, they're not ready yet to go win Stanley Cups. I can't possibly imagine, but boy, are they on a good path. Um, obviously, very early in the season, that's really almost uninteresting. What is interesting to me is Lucas Raymond, first round draft pick last season, 19 years old, made the club, looks like an NHL player already. Moritz Sider, who's what, maybe 20, um, you know, already back on the blue line and um, guys like Fabry and Jacob Vrana, although he's hurt and Rasmussen, um, just, just a whole lot of good young hockey players. Um, And it's, and I'm, I'm forgetting several Hronik, et cetera. And the other thing that Eiserman did that was, that was terrific in this off season is he went out and he grabbed a couple of, well, it wasn't just this offseason, but he's gone out and picked up a couple of very solid veteran defensemen. Nick Letty really, really liked that signing. He's a good puck-moving defenseman and a veteran guy. Uh, and then you get a guy like Stahl, and that helps you backstop these other younger guys like Kronick and Sider and Gustav Lidstrom. So I'm just excited uh, that, these draft picks have just, they've borne fruit about as quickly as humanly possible. 
Yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely correct. Now, I, I what I really wanted to do uh, had we done a show earlier because we had talked about the the uh, Red Wings and, um, you know, I had mentioned I thought it was finally time to go out and get a really good goaltender, right? And and now I would have taken a victory lap up until the last the the two games that he's played. Uh, um, Alex Nedeljevic uh, from uh, Carolina, who was really good <laughs> in in the playoffs for them, uh, though yeah. he I know somehow maybe left those skills potentially based in the first two games in Carolina, uh, unfortunately. Um, but but to your point, the the talent appears to have finally arrived, right? Um, and and it appears that it might be as good as advertised, right? Because I think that's, Justin, and let's be honest, there's a lot of advertising that happens when you have this young talent. I mean, we, we you know, I mean, and, and again, it, it, cap, it happens in every sport. It's happened forever in, 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 uh, in, in, in Detroit. I mean, you know, remember the, you know, the selling of, uh, you know, Sparky was always the best selling guys, you know, you know, the, P- Chris Pataro is going to be the, you know, the best and, and whatever. Next and Brooke, then Brooks Robinson yeah, or something. Yeah, like you know, he tried to sell Kirk Gibson as the next Mickey Mantle and all this stuff. So, I mean, you, we, we get sold and in this town we've been sold a lot and a lot of times it just... It hasn't worked out, period. And we can go through the long list, but I'll save everyone time this Saturday afternoon. But um, it, it finally, especially Cedar uh, coming up, I think that, you know, and Lucas Raymond and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, and to that point, and to the point that you made, Justin, lastly, this is a team that has desperately needed to figure out what they're going to do in the defense uh defensemen um they haven't their defensemen have not been the paul coffees and the nick Lickstroms at all and they might have finally figured out that recipe and i think that'll go a long way in terms of of getting this team where it needs to be yeah no doubt about that yeah, you know what I like about what he's doing is, you know, Justin's point around the quantity of talent that he has, and some of those guys will stay and some of those guys will go. Um, but I think the the reason why, from a rebuild perspective, you know, I would put the Red Wings first is Iserman. Um, because I think of all of the other folks in the front office, you know, Iserman has the track record uh, that really is lacking, uh, you know, with the other three teams. So, uh, to that plus the young talent, uh, you know, I think it kind of gives him the edge, gives the wings the edge. So, um, it, they're they're fun to watch too. So, yep. Another interesting point is that uh, Eisman scooped up a few uh, folks that the Lightning have let go that he had brought in, in Mitchell Stevens and Adam Ernie. And you know, the Ernie one, I kind of scratched my head when that first happened, um, but he has blossomed into a really really solid hockey player. Um, and you know, what's also been good is he did go out and has gotten a few veterans too, to, to help the team along and they're not far away. I, I really don't think from being truly a contending, like a legitimately contending team. Um, and I'm, I'm right with you, Adam. I thought, uh, you know, it was great goaltending pickup, <laughs> but the first two games, not, not great. Um, uh, but I, I, think that'll uh that'll even out as this, the season goes on yeah i'm not too worried i mean again one of those games was against you know the best team in hockey and True. lots of talent over there in tampa so um you know I'm, I'm not i'm not too concerned i think that was still one of the best uh moves of the offseason in the nhl i was getting uh him at the price they got him so well i mean the next time eiserman goes to carolina north carolina i mean he might get arrested for theft. So, I mean, that was just ridiculous. Yeah, that was crazy. That said, uh, then we can jump on over uh, to the Pistons, who just got underway with a loss to the Bulls. And um, what are you? I mean, I mean, their their roster. I'm not, you know, I don't follow basketball as, as closely as you guys, but it's like every time I, I look at the team, I'm like, who who is who is who is that? Um, you know, so so the Troy Weaver uh, roadshow has finally started to settle in, I think, on some guys, and it'd be very interesting to see what this season holds. So I was just going to ask yeah. what you guys' thoughts. I, I think there's there's with the Pistons, you know, 
there's there's four names of importance at this point. Um, you know, three I think are names of excitement. One is it's becoming concerning. Uh, you know, so the, the the good names, you know, it's Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, and Cade Cunningham, and that's really going to tell the season, or, you know, tell the tale of this season. And then there is Killian Hayes, who looked completely lost. Uh, you know, on Friday, and you know, if Kate Cunningham is dressed for that game, the Pistons probably win that game. Um, you know, whereas Killian Hayes just looked—he's on another planet. You know, uh, Weaver hasn't fully gotten into kind of the the plugging holes with veterans mode just yet, but he did sign one in Kelly Olnick, uh, who's a very good basketball player and will be very good for them off the bench. Uh, let go of Mason Plumley, get some good moves um, for them. So. It's just it's the young core. They're they're not going to win much more than thirty games this year, um, but you know they do that. See the development of those core group of guys I mentioned, and then pick up another top ten draft pick next year. Then they'll probably uh, you know be where the Tigers are this year, which is or next year, which is they're going to be around, right? They're going to be flirting with a playoff spot. They're going to be winning some exciting games and beating some good teams. But this year it's just a slog, and it's about watching those four guys you know develop in whatever way they do. I, I can't disagree. I think it uh, that was exactly my thought watching that game was that uh, the um, uh, the Bulls game there on Thursday is that had had they played uh, um, um, had Cade played in that game, he they absolutely would have won. And I we know that because we got to watch. I mean, I for the first time in my life. I was rather interested in NBA Summer Basketball League uh, out of Vegas and watching Cade. There's no doubt. I mean, just just that those couple games that are there, he is a difference maker. I mean, he's walking into the NBA probably a top 50 player. Um, And I think, and and again, anyone that made the comparison to Grant Hill was absolutely spot on. Um, And I think, again, he's going to be able to do a lot of things very good. Is he going to do anything great? No. And that's where, I mean, I think his ceiling's probably top 30 or top 25 probably as time goes along but he has a great head on his shoulders uh and i think on this team he's an absolutely fantastic fit um brandon i did have one question for you um i look at that draft um the player that i think that I think Kate is obviously your 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 crown jewel coming out of the you know coming out of the draft I'm wondering what your opinion on a guy who I think when he gets healthy could be. I just gave top 30, top 50. I think he got top, he has a ceiling. He's not there yet, but I think he has a ceiling to be top 100, if not top 75 in Isaiah Levers. I, I tend to think he is, he has the potential of maybe being a difference maker in the NBA. And I don't, maybe I'm wet behind the ears, but I just, I, when I watch him from the college basketball, his leadership, his presence in the game, and just his general overall physical attributes, be, being able to play the long game, he just seems like a, almost a steal uh, if he can get healthy and kind of, you know, get adjusting to the pro game. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the two things that are really the concern for Livers and what moved him from, you know, a top 15 pick to a second round pick were health uh, and athleticism. And so if Isaiah Livers is healthy for, you know, the last two seasons at Michigan, um, you know, if he has a tournament run in terms of his you know last season and the year before, you know, he got hurt before uh, the tournament and before COVID shut everything down, you know, it, he, might, he might be a first round pick, you know. I think his ceiling is probably a 3 and D guy. Um, just because I don't know that he has the athleticism for the NBA game, um, you know, the way that he kind of get by in college, but he could absolutely be a difference maker. There's no question. And he's the kind of guy that the Pistons have struggled to acquire um, really at any point post kind of the Dumars assembled team, which is a guy that can come in and get hot off the bench. I mean, the Pistons could not find that guy for the last five or six years. And he can absolutely be that. He's a very good three point shooter a very good three-point shooter. And I think that because of his size, it will still translate well to the NBA game. You know, and, and I, I don't think people should sleep on Luka Garza either. Um, no. Pistons did a lot of damage in the second round of that draft. And those are two guys that will never be Cade Cunningham's. They simply don't have the right athletic 
mix, it, whatever you want to call it, uh, to do that, the right attributes. But boy, could they both be very good NBA players. And again, it's, you know, giving credit to a Detroit general manager for doing a nice job in bringing in young talent. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, Killian Hayes is 20 years old, right? So, I, I mean, I, I, even in basketball, where obviously, you know, it skews younger on age, um, you know, there, there's still, there, there's still hope on the horizon there. Oh, and, totally. um, and, you know, having a player like Cunningham obviously is great. But like you said, it, when you can pick up guys who play on the roster from the second round, there's something to be said for that. Okay. Um, and that's, it's, it's exciting. And I, I did want to throw out there, Jeremy Grant continues to be uh, just an absolute, um, you know, we very good basketball player, but yep. he's just a good player. And um, you got to have that guy too, particularly with the young guys. You got to have that guy there uh, who can do that. So I I think they've just went up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They've just structured this team incredibly well in terms of salary cap management. The yeah. guys they're getting good minutes for, they are either going to be able to package up in deals to acquire more picks or a different player, or they can just let go. And by then I'm talking Saban Lee, Corey Joseph, Josh Jackson, Diallo, like, when they when it comes time to compete, they've set themselves up to both take flyers on all of these guys, all of which have talent, particularly Josh Jackson, uh, who has an incredible amount of talent, uh, or just let them go if it doesn't work. And that they they have assembled this team really really well. I I think the other thing that I would bring up is that I think in the past there's been this statement of well you don't want to you know the uh, for the Pistons it would be difficult to. Uh, really compete with free agency. But now you've got uh, a couple of things going on. One, they're definitely going to have plenty of cap coming up uh, here probably in the next offseason. Two, um, if you're an NBA player uh, and you're looking at uh, the the landscape of coaches, one guy you absolutely want to play for is Dwayne Casey. Uh, he, He knows how to coach basketball. And the organization is really kind of setting up. And I I know that John Beeline probably didn't, you know, there, there was a major disconnect with him being with Cleveland, but I think having him in the organization is a major coup on multiple levels, uh, in terms, especially uh, when it comes to talent evaluation and knowledge of, of the uh, college game. Uh, and then in, in addition, though, is that I think you've got some really good, not just basketball players, but even when you're listening to Kate Cunningham, he's a smart man. That that he his his smart his uh, IQ is well before his time. He he does not sound like a twenty year old. He sounds like a very wise person. And uh, to have him on the team along with guys like Jeremy Grant and and uh, uh, you know guys that might have their chip on their shoulder, whether it be Garza or uh, Levers, you know, I, I just it, it all kind of shaping up really well. Not to you know not to leave out guys like Stewart and. Uh, um, uh, Sadiq Bay and, and stuff like that. Which Sadiq Bay, I'll tell you what, even just in that first game, you could tell he did not take any off days in this offseason. He really, really appears to just, he's yeah. personally driving himself to be the best. So, two names for him, uh, you know, both on the same team, uh, Brown and Tatum in Boston. That's him. Uh, he's going to be very good. Just one other name, you know, closing out on the Pistons that was a very quiet signing um, is Chris Smith. Uh, Chris Smith was a 6'9 guard for UCLA uh, who had a kind of a sleepy uh, freshman season there and then started to take some steps forward. Uh, and then he was actually a Na- was on the watch list for the Naismith Player of the Year until he tore his ACL uh, a couple of games into last season. Uh, he has the potential to be a reclamation project that could be a very good NBA player. He was somebody who I don't think it would have been out of line for him to be a top 20 pick before he tore his ACL. Uh, and as someone who almost certainly would have helped UCLA win a national championship had he been healthy. Uh, and so just the name I'm just throwing out there out into the world because it costs me nothing. But when he does get healthy again, he could be very, very interesting. Because again, he's got, you know, and then again, it goes back to that ceiling, you know, versus the established talent. Like he just has the the body the attributes that make for a successful nba player like nobody would have ever said that duncan robinson 
you know, was a, you know, a better college basketball player than Garza or even Isaiah Livers, but he had length and he can shoot and he has speed. And like, what, what has it turned into? You know, the guy hits six three pointers a night now, you know, for Miami. So it really is about getting those guys that have that, that upside. Yep. And I think it's important too, to bring up the salary cap piece of this, because that's something, again, all three teams, uh, you know, there's no cap in baseball, but all three of the teams we've talked there's about. There's also no crime in baseball. That is true too, unless you're A-Rod. Um, but the, the contract management of these teams has also been really good because again, both Eisner and Weaver walked into, and, and Avila, quite frankly, although he was part of the organization, so he's got to bear some blame for that. They walked into <laughs> really bad financial situations. Oh. And all three teams are in way, way better shape. Um, and, and finally, you know, the wings finally were able to, um, buy out France Nielsen's contract. I've only been calling for that for the last three seasons. Um, and, and so they're taking a big hit this year, but then they're freeing up a lot of cap for next year. You know, like you were talking about the Pistons, Brandon, and the Tigers are down to one bad contract, and that's Cabrera. And it is what it is. It, it has always been what it was going to be. Um, and they have plenty of room to do whatever else. So you got to be really happy um, to be a fan of those teams because it's been a it's been a rough rough winter, if you will, a many years of winter uh, in Detroit sports. And yeah, I, you know, I would just say I would go further, Justin. I would say if you include, you know, and the other teams are kind of working their way out at this point, but if you include the first, you know, the Patricia era uh, and the 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 Quinn era in Detroit, I would argue we had the four worst financially managed teams in 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 pro sports. No, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I, you're probably just, right. If you look at the way that the Pistons locked themselves in uh, around the the end of Drummond's time, you know, mm-hmm. the way that the Tigers have you know just completely spent through the roof, and the way that fell apart. You know, the Wings had some exceptionally bad contracts. Yep. Uh, Zetterberg, Front, you know, I mean, these legacy deals, in addition to terrible signings like Weiss and Nielsen, you know, that came after. And then, you know, the yep. Lions, I mean, just, you know, literal garbage at all times, including, you know, as I'm sure we'll discuss now. Now, um, like, I, it would just, I would argue that we were like the worst managed, you know, sports town in America when it came to money. It's hard to argue with that, quite, quite frankly. Um, Did I mention the Lions are garbage? I think I think very recently, yes. Okay, let me, um, I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. So I guess we could talk about the Lions um, and the Dan Campbell era. Um, you know, I am very impressed with the progress that kicking has made in NFL. I mean, I mean that you know, kickers are important. Actually, the kicking this year has been terrible. I know, but the not Lions, Lions. Not, but not against the Lions. Oh the no, Lions. no, 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 no! You can't have like Mason Crosby miss four field goals in in a game or something like that, like he did against was it Pittsburgh or Cincinnati? I think it was Cincinnati. So, and he's done that multiple times in the last two or three years. I just want to go yes. on record, like multiple. Yeah. Times. Oh yeah. No, I mean it's yeah. There's been a lot of really bad i mean i i will tell you i've seen a lot of bad just general overall nfl football played especially in the one o'clock clock it's like oh my god really are people really sitting and watching this stuff i mean i always usually find something else to do until about 350 i've become my father by the way i've, I've noticed that where my father would sit down at about 345 you know, he would get home from work on a Sunday and about 3.45 and then sit down and watch the last 15 minutes of the 1 o'clock game. So, and then that would be it. So, he'd go on, go do something else. Because just like, why? And I, I feel like that now. I feel like I'm, I'm watching a lot. Of, I mean, I sit down at about 3.30 on a Sunday. And, and even not even watching the Lions, just putting on Red Zone. Because DirecTV is just giving me Red Zone free. So, like, okay. Fine. I'll sit down and watch three thirty uh thirty minutes here and then go do something else. So but uh, uh as far as lines go, um I you know, I think this season has showed how unbelievably terrible 
Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were at building a team. Yeah. I mean, and I I know I, there's some people that are going to die uh, wanting to give. Um, oh, you I know, thought you meant literally. Grief to Dan Campbell <laughs> but and, and crew. But no, I, I don't even I, – I, I just think – uh, the the one head scratcher after watching him and watching fundamentally how terrible he is is bringing on Jared Goff, but I would argue and and then extending the contract. So I think it kind of gives you a little bit of flexibility. Um, Jared Goff is terrible, which is yes, and I think it can help. By the way, I think my biggest criticism of Dan Campbell was bringing Mark Brunel, a very unseasoned quarterback coach to coach a very un- badly fundamental quarterback in Jared Goff. That, that probably is the worst thing that Dan has done, period. Yeah, I mean, what, what right. I would say is you, you're, what you're seeing is what one would expect when you hire a bunch of people that have literally no idea what they're doing and put them on a team that has absolutely no talent. I mean – this is this. The Lions have had some doozies since 2000 in terms of lack of talent, a stunning lack of talent on this team offensively, a stunning lack of talent. Um, yeah, Dan Campbell has no idea what he's doing, and so you know, oh, what, what, you, know you know, whether he's he's is he to blame for this nonsense? Of course not. Like, no. you know, but he has also has no idea what he's doing, and he's not going to be a part of anything that resembles. A winning football team here. He may get them, you know, to six wins or seven wins or whatever at some point. But the idea that this guy's going to take them and be the guy that's, you know, shepherds them to 10 and six, 12 and four. I mean, I hope, I hope that that nonsense will be erased from people's minds by the end of the year. Yeah. And, and I think it's also really important to talk about the fact that, and, and as you both have touched on, he again is walking into just an untenable situation and perhaps this was the time to hire a dan campbell is when you know it's going to be a dumpster fire no matter what the lions literally have an entire football roster of dead cap players um Mm they they their dead cap spend this season is 56 million dollars now granted 19 of that is stafford but just to give you an idea of what they've had to do to get contracts back in order is, you know, they've had to eat $56 million this season. Uh, not to mention they've got another $34 million on injured reserve. So, I mean, when, you, when you've got $90 million tied up on dead cap and injuries, you're not going to be successful. And, and lo and behold, me defending the Lions, but, but it's just reality at this point. Adam, so so I act, I I will disagree. I I actually kind of like what I'm seeing from Dan Campbell. I, I actually I'm I'm in disagreement. Um, one he brought in Aaron Glenn, and I think Aaron Glenn. Had, I mean, for a defense that has absolutely no talent, and Aaron Glenn been, the team. Like I like him too. But I mean, there was he made a decision to bring him in as a defensive coordinator, correct? Dan Campbell, right? Yeah. So. And I think that's been a – I think Aaron Glenn, what he's been able to do with the defense that I can barely name five players off of, has been absolutely really incredible. And I think the thing is, this team has absolutely no talent, and they're like five plays away from being a 500 team. Uh, if I change five plays in the season, they're they're basically a 500 team. And, and that's despite Jared Goff being at the quarterbacking thing. I think that's a reach. Um, you're right; it has been close. I, I mean, they, I, they, they, they they could by accident should have won at least a game. I mean, that, yes. yes. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. no. I, I, but I don't. No, no. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily. Uh, I mean, they, they should have won against the Ravens, and the Ravens were given countless favors in that game. Um, the and, primary and, one being getting to play the Lions, right? <laughs> Well, uh, no, I, I mean, I, but again, you know, yet. They, the, the Lions gave up, you know, 
uh, a fourth and 19, 35 yard completion. I mean, you, 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 you reserve, oh, you reserve the right to talk about a play here. They had that play. That was the play they should have made, not the not the field goal. Oh, absolutely! No, no, no. I mean, but but I'm just saying. I mean, they they, they had that team in the ropes. They should have won to get the, the the darn game against the Vikings, for heaven's sakes. Uh, and there was another one off the top of my head. But I, I I mean, I guess to me, they've been in games. They've been in the winning spot. Yeah, it didn't work out. Okay, fine. Uh, and especially because of the parity and mediocrity of the NFL as a whole, that's where I go. Okay, and and when you consider how unbelievably not talented this team is, I, you know, again, we'll disagree, and we'll agree to disagree, and that's fine, so. And I do look forward also at the end of the season talking about the Lions draft picks um, and where that, uh, where that lands. Again, uh, you can't fault uh, Campbell for, and, and the newest crew for, really anything at this point it's just no. too new uh they're just too new of a group but um same old lines so with that said anything else you guys want to touch on before we get out of here nah. no no not on my list i i uh it was about the only thing that we didn't talk about that i thought uh was kind of a new dawn in golf with the uh, complete domination of the Americans at the uh, at the Ryder Cup. And uh, um, mind you, I don't you know don't worry about it. Don't give too much credence to it till they go to Europe and they do it. But I, I was really really amazed the complete domination that they did. And uh, and, and I mean they've got nothing but even the guys that, then the guys that just missed the team you know they went out in the uh, the fall tour and just went out and they won a bunch of wins and whatever and I it'll be very interesting I I look forward to uh, Europe in two years to see how because that's usually the stinker uh, for uh, U.S. golf uh, in the Ryder Cup so um, for sure. all right. Well, then I guess it is time to wrap things up for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. We'll be back on in a couple of weeks-ish with lots to talk about, including Michigan, Michigan State, uh, a little bit further into, um, you know, hockey and basketball. Uh, Lions may have won a game by that point, probably not. And uh, we'll definitely get into baseball, free agency, and what we see next season for the Tigers. With that said, for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name is Justin Lee, and thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium.